This is a story about a girl named Molly Goes around off the trolley Drinks cider and a dolly She can't get over you There's nothing that she will do Now she's off sipping glue Hey everybody, it's Cyanide here, a little geek lost. Um, another podcast about music, again, because that's kind of one of my favorite topics. Um, this week I have a special guest to talk about music, uh, Don Diego, or classy Don Diego, <laughs> as it were. So, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, give us a, a little intro or a little rundown on yourself. Sure. Um, the, the, I appreciate the classy thing. That's kind of a running joke I have on the internet, but I am Don Diego. I am host of a podcast or a series of podcasts called Hashtag Cocktails, which you can find on iTunes. I also happen to be the guitarist in a band which has just recently released one of our first albums. I'll explain that a little bit later. Uh, the brand, band's name is Morier, which is M-O-R-I-E-R. You can find that on Bandcamp, just M-O-R-I-E-R dot Bandcamp dot com. And, uh, yeah, so I've been playing guitar for a super, super long time, did vocals and choir back when I was younger. Uh, aside from that, uh, I'm just a, a regular nerdy, geeky guy who's on the internet and does fun stuff. And I was actually a guest on your podcast where we talked about poop and Hitler. That's right. You know, you are a fantastic person to have on the podcast because I love having interesting people and unique people, and you are both of those things. So I'm our poop and Hitler podcast. Yeah, I was going to say our poop and Hitler podcast is up there as one of my favorites. Yeah, that was. I don't even know how that spiraled out of control. <laughs> but it's fun to, nonetheless. To poop and to Hitler and all those fun things. So now I finally get to have you on my podcast. Awesome! I look forward to this. So, yeah, you mentioned your your band's album. Let's start with that. Tell us about uh, your album. Um, how did that come about? How did you decide to put out an album? I did have um, a little bit of listen to it online before this. Um, but, yeah, tell me, tell me about that. Okay, no problem. <laughs> um, basically, I've been in a, a multitude of bands as long as I've been playing music. And between all these bands, the one kind of defining thing underneath was these two friends I had, Matt and Alex, who were a uh, bassist and a drummer, respectively, and uh, we always wanted to do bands together, and sometimes we did, or part of us did together in certain bands, but we always had a side project where we were just writing stuff for us. And, you know, this is seven, eight years ago, maybe even longer, I forget. And ultimately, over the years, we kept writing music, kept writing music, kept notating the music, which is uh, important to us because that's kind of when you can't be always together to jam or go over ideas. We used a computer software to pretty much notate out the music. Then we'd send each other a copy and be like, here's what I added, here's what I added. And it gotten to a point where, and I, I remember, because I, I can tell you the exact number, because we recently did a, a purge. We occasionally do purges of all our files and music songs that we think aren't good enough anymore. We still have, I believe, 83 different songs that we've yet to expand upon or finish writing. Uh, so uh, if the, if there's 83 that we've yet to do, we've written and totally notated three full albums. Uh, we're in the process of four and five, and like I said, there's 83 potential for the future. So that's a lot of music over yeah. a lot of time. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, just because we have life and a bunch of other things come up, I mean, that's how it is when you grow up and go through university and jobs and whatnot, is things kind of get in the way. We've never had the opportunity to together sit down and record it and every time we've even tried to begin like we've had stuff like hard drives die or we've had you know uh, equipment just fry right in the middle of recording drums so it's just like it seems like the world was against us and finally because you know life got on and i was like we need to do this now or never like we just need to get on top of it we said okay fine we'll start recording and the question was then well what do we record you know you've got so many songs and so many potential songs do you start at the beginning and do we record all the stuff from when we were teenagers actually wow that's that that was a long time ago when we were teenagers <laughs> or do we start recording stuff that we're into now because there's a disparity between our playing levels our songwriting abilities all that stuff and ultimately we decided on well every single album will have cuts from various stages of our musical career so when you listen to the first four of this album which we call Morier one or just one if you want to call it that you know the first four tracks are from the very first album we put together seven eight years ago and then the next two are from one that's three four years old and then the next two are from one that's two three years old and the idea there is ultimately 
as we keep doing these, the the deeper cuts, the, the lower down on the album, the more closer you get to who we are now and what type of stuff we can write now. So by more year three, we'll probably be only two years behind. <laughs> so, yeah, the the type of music, um, it's all instrumental, uh-huh. what I listen to anyways, which is pretty cool because you don't really hear, at least from what I listen to, mainly um, too many just instrumental things anymore. Um and was that kind of something that you guys, you know, just decide you're just going to do something without vocals or was it just kind of where your interests lie? Well, vocals were originally part of the band. I mean, I still got uh, pages of stuff for various songs that either were recorded and are on album one or just were never made it to the first album. But it, what always ended up happening was I could find a great series of musicians who were good or, you know, a, a hardworking so they could get to the level I wanted them to be. But I can never find a vocalist uh, who was the same way. I don't know what it is about vocalists. Maybe it's egotism. Maybe I, I don't. So it was one of these things after a while, like, and you can listen to some of the songs. Like, I, I could I could literally point out songs where I was like, well, that's where a, vor- a verse is supposed to be, and that's where a chorus is supposed to be, and that's this is the vocal line that's supposed to happen over that. But, yeah, for a lot of the early songs, there was stuff like that. After a while, though, it just got to the point where, you know, we tried different vocalists, and it didn't work out, and we were just like, Here's one thing we all have in common is we all are musicians and we all love music and we're all multiple uh, musicians. All of us sing. All of us, ironically enough, play guitar. So when I record and when I write stuff, it's not that there's one guitarist, one drummer, one bassist. It's actually there's three guitarists, there's you know three vocalists, two drummers, and I'm the least talented. So all I, I, all I know is about uh, vocals and guitar. The other guys are multiple talented and, you know, did all band, orchestra and music theory. I taught myself. So it, it, we ultimately decided like, okay, we're going to be completely instrumental. And that shifts the way you write entirely. And I'll try to say this without getting too deep into like the theory and stuff like that. But, you know, there's ultimately going to be something underneath uh, uh, music that you initially attach to, and a lot of the times it's the melody. And the most of the melody comes from your vocalist. And if you're playing a type of music, maybe that doesn't have too much repeating melody in the background. Like, And I'm not giving crap to it, but like hip-hop and rap is synonymous for having a beat that just repeats the whole time. And that's fine, because it's the vocalist who you're supposed to be listening to. He draws your attention. Well, when you do without a vocalist, you can't get away with just eight repeats of a verse, four of a chorus, you know, like however many times you repeat a thing. You're forced to write changing, or at least you're forced to write a melody that then involves and then comes back. It's more keen to what you find in classical music. Um, so that's kind of what we have to do now. That's why then the very first album, there's an, a, a very experiment, experimental track called Throws of the Confederation, which is 13 or 14 minutes long. That's a, <laughs> That was a challenge to write. It took over a year to write. And uh, yeah, I mean, and that's another thing too, is like when you're forced... Uh, when, when, when I explain to people, oh, I do music, and they go, oh, wow, I, I wish I could, I wish I had that talent. I, I, I'll argue music is not so much about talent. There's a lot of just hard work that goes into writing music. Talent is this kind of ethereal thing, like wh- where people think an idea strikes you or a whole song strikes you from a muse. And it does happen like that sometimes. But the majority of the time is you maybe had a great idea and you wrote it down or you recorded it, and you're like, now what? And that's where the hard work comes in. That's where, well, if you know your theory, you can do a couple of things. Or where if you just got to keep hitting at it, hitting at it, hitting at it, and add something. Because ultimately, you're not always going to have inspiration, but you're going to have to continue writing if you want to write a song. And so that's where, uh, that's kind of how everything came together. We just decided... We're going to write all instrumental. We're going to make everything instrumentally focused. So it allows us to be a little wilder and a little more varied with our uh, genres that we throw into music. I think there's probably like more, well, I would say talent, but more like effort you have to put forth behind it when you don't have the vocals to hide behind too with music because you have to sit there and actually focus on the actual music and the sound of it and you can't just hide it behind vocals. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Carlos Santana said this in a really, really funny way, but he, maybe this, this quote has some merit. He explains that men, well, I, I can't do a Santana accent, so I won't even try. <laughs> but, but men are, uh, appeal to strong and lower register rhythms. So they love, you know, these heavy guitars and, and aggressive rhythms that, that drive you. And then he says, and this, I know it sounds almost sexist, but women appeal to more to flowing melodies and things that you can sing to. And they love choruses and strings and the higher melody type stuff. And I think what he's hitting at ultimately is, when you write a song, there's something that's supposed to kind of keep it all together. And it's either you write around the melody, so then you've got a main melody, which isn't your focus, usually a singer, and then the band kind of sits back. And that's what happens in all music. You know, the band kind of sits in the pocket, as the term is, and we kind of keep the groove going or we keep the rhythm going while the vocalist goes off and does his thing. So those are our breaks. When you're writing instrumental music, not so much. I mean, there are some breaks when, like, it's I maybe play A chord and it's all bass and drum, which is great for me because that means these guys get to show off just how much better musicians they are than me. But for the majority of the time, I'm having to keep, okay, so I need a melody. Well, that's going to be used with the guitar because that's the range I sit in, so that means I'm going to have to write a melody here. I'm going to have to be playing something that's interesting to the listener to keep it going. Yeah, I think that that's you know, where you get the extra a little bit put into it because, like you said, you have to keep it interesting and you don't just have, you know, a singer that's kind of getting the attention. It's the actual instruments and the music, the rest of it, that's getting the attention for it. Yeah. And how far in the album did you get to? Because I, I, there's some songs, especially towards the latter part of the album, where we get a little wacky with the influences. I only got about four four songs in. Okay, well that's great. At work yesterday. <laughs> no, that's completely fine. I, well, if you've gotten four songs in, then you've heard that we throw in stuff like pianos or strings or chorus or a four songs in. I was which track is that? That's uh, plight. Okay, so th- th- you've heard how we'll and maybe end a song with a like lounge jazz piece. Mm-hmm. That's where you know it comes to us to be like, well, we don't want to write something that's boring. And we don't want to write something that's simple. So what have people never heard? And it's like, well, let's start maybe with an Eastern sounding thing. And then in the middle of it, let's go to a semi-classical thing. And at the end, let's end like carnival music. And that's, you know, that's legit part of one of our songs is there's a carnival music section. I call it Haunted House because... <laughs> Another thing is because we don't have coercive verses, we have to give these things funny names. So in the writing process, is, is if I could show you guys the music, all these parts are written with funny names, like you know, like like I said, a haunted house, or uh, like there's a whole section I remember which I called like Steel Lady, Iron Serpent, you know, <laughs> just because these are kind of jokes about Iron Maiden because it sounds kind of like Iron Maiden like. So I was like, so I was I was making jokes about stuff like that because. You know, ultimately, this music has to be interesting, and ultimately, uh, I want to make it interesting to you, the listener. So I, I try my very best with all the bags of tricks I have. Yeah, I found it. It was really easy to listen to. Um, I had it. I was listening to it at work when I usually listen to podcasts, um, and I find like a lot of times I'll get distracted by stuff. But I actually found I was focusing more listening to the music and actually like paying attention to the little different bits in it than I probably would if it was vocals because I mean you're focused more on that so I found that kind of like a really cool different thing because I don't I don't tend to listen to a lot of instrumental music but listening to yours it kind of like actually like grabbed my attention listening to all the little you know the different sounds and the different instruments and everything and I, I really liked it oh thank you very much I appreciate that it almost reminded me of video game music. <laughs> no, you know what? That is actually very, very true. I find this uh, maybe because of who I was growing up, you know, with 1816-bit Super NES and all these types of awesome games is my way of thinking. And this is where, you know, the beauty of having three guys with three completely different approaches to music. Mm-hmm. My way of thinking is very much based off of... You know, there always has to be an interesting melody, and what's the most I can do with one line? Because back in the eighteen sixteen bit days, you didn't have that much memory, so you ended up only you ended up only having, I think, three or four instrument sounds you can do with MIDI. Yeah, it's it's very specific sound. <laughs> yeah, you have a very specific sound. So then, where does the variation come in? If you can't have a whole orchestra backing you up, how does it get interesting? And well, you do have to write really catchy or really cool melodies. And you know, I think back to all my 18, 16 bit melodies and they're so catchy. You know, uh, I can, we can talk about Street Fighter and all, you know, the reuse, reuse theme or Guile's theme or I can think of Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is some of my favorite video game music ever. It was so fucking good. 
My husband has the um, the victory song from Final Fantasy VII as his ringtone on his phone. <laughs> I know it's fantastic. Like these guys, you know, Chrono Trigger's up there. Like yeah. there's so many great themes, and they did so much with so little. And that's a bit of what I want to do. I mean, yes, I can cheat because, like I said, now I'm in the future. So if I do want strings or a piano, or if I want a tabla in a part, I can throw <laughs> it in there, and it sounds really, really cool. And I like it. But ultimately, at the heart of everything is a melody, or at least that's my part as the guitarist. The heart of everything is a melody. I'm learning now as I get older and get better at music. I'm actually listening more to bassists and drummers do seminars and lectures and thinking about the other side because to two of the three people here are in the rhythm section, the drum and the basses. So I have to think about them as well. I can't be an egotistical guitar player that I already am. <laughs> like the typical guitar player. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something about playing guitar where it's like you're front and center, you're you know, you're playing some solos, people dig you, chicks want you. I mean, there's a little ego to it. Yeah, nobody gives their love to the drummer. <laughs> Usually the drummer or the basses are the smartest uh, people, though. They're usually the, the most musically interesting, at least in my book. The, my my drummer and bassist, Matt and Alex, million leagues ahead of me as songwriters. And now, like I said, as we've progressed, I, I, I fear Alex, the drummer, is a better guitar player than I am because he'll come to me with guitar parts and I'll be like, holy shit, I never thought about that. Why are you so damn good? I'm getting a little worried. <laughs> Eventually he's going to realize if he just plays with a backing track, he doesn't even need me. Oh, I'm sure he'll still need you. Need someone oh. to stand up on stage and act all arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody to act interesting, I guess. Have have my fingers move really, really fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, because I was pretty sure it was you that had mentioned on the Geek and Sundry board about the whole major to minor and minor to major, major and like reversing yeah. of music. And I found a bunch of those other ones recently on YouTube and just being like, fascinated how it completely changes the tone of a song yeah yeah and it's kind of become my obsession lately <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you listen i always love hearing things that are then taken out of their element my favorite thing and i'll i i'm funny so i, I do a, a hashtag cocktails podcast my intros for my podcasts um I, I actually have never had the opportunity to credit the people who my intros are from. If you ever wanted to know, the Hashtag Cocktails podcast intro is um, Enoch Light uh, was a composer who did kind of like 60s, uh, like jazz, swing type stuff. And it's it's uh, it's called a, my, a Little Fugue for Me, which is a, a variation of a Bach fugue, which is also kind of funny because I, I learned the very Bach fugue he did the variation of when I started guitar playing so it's kind of like the, the circle everything coming back ultimately to it I found out this piece and I loved it because I was like oh I love how he did something different with something you already know and that's what you kind of get with the major minor stuff it's, yeah. it's the exact same piece kinda but it's so different when you change the key there's um one of the people I think it's like the same people that do a lot of the auto tuning um it's there's the sh Shmo Yoho that does a lot of the auto-tune songify this stuff, but then he's in another group, the Gregory Brothers, and I think it's him and his brother or whatever. Yeah. But they had a whole set of like major to minor and minor to major and like happy sad songs where they like uh, took like Happy by Pharrell and like changed it so it's like super sad and depressing. Um, and most recently, uh, Taylor Swift "Shake It Off," <laughs> where it's done in minor key and just like this horrible, sad, depressing song with like the crazy upbeat lyrics and just like hearing the complete difference just by changing that is like something that's super cool to listen to. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, to continue with the Shoyaho thing, you know, the bed intruder song, you know, the climb in your window, mm -hmm. snatching your people up that, that, that song, right? One of my favorite covers of that all time is somebody who does that on a shamisen, a traditional Japanese stringed instrument, <laughs> kind of their version of the guitar. And one of my favorite things to hear is like how, friggin' Japanese and Asian that song <laughs> sounds on a shamisen. So, you know, and, and like, I, there's also, I believe, a comedian in Australia who made a joke about uh, this death metal band called Cannibal Corpse, and he said, oh, people just, you know, don't, don't like how the, the instrumentation is. If you change it to lounge music, you'd love it so much. So he's playing this kind of lounge thing. He's talking about <laughs> ripping your intestines out and pus, and uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, I, that's ultimately, my, my whole point is the reason I love Music, regardless of what it is, and uh, I think this is part of the part of the reason it's really hard for me to say what my favorite type of music is, is because at the bottom of it all, when you strip away all the effects and all the stuff, is something that sounds really, really nice that regard you can put in various genres and it works and it's great. 
I think some of my favorite stuff is just like the parody stuff. I love Shmo Yoho's all their auto tune, and I'm like obsessed with the apparently kid song, which mm-hmm. is like it's the most ridiculous thing. It's like this what like eight year old little kid <laughs> yeah. just saying apparently, and and then they do like a acoustic cover of it too, <coughs> and it's Sorry. just some of the funniest stuff. Same with like their herp to derp song. <laughs> I I really love parody music more than than anything else. Humor music like college humor, a lot of their songs too. But, yeah, a lot of, uh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like, but, like, even, like, the, the auto-tune ones, where they're just, you know, people on the news, and they're like, I'm gonna make this into a song. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Some of the best stuff. It's amazing how, uh, how, uh, it's almost the subject matter doesn't even matter. It's if the music is catchy or good. Like, I love Nya Cat. You know, yeah. na 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 <laughs> Like, that, the fact that it's, it, like, doesn't even get to my nerves. It's the fact that I'm just like, damn, that's a frigging catchy melody. And it's it's also really hard to play a guitar. I've tried it once. If you try to play it up to speed, it's a finger twister. <laughs> like uh, when we used to watch the video through the fire and the flames. And oh god, those guys! And I'm like, I don't understand how they're actually doing this. Yeah, well, you know what's funny about those guys? Actually, um, I've been meaning to. Uh, so I have so many music projects that either don't come to fruition or don't, uh, you know, things don't pan out, but. Long story short, uh, I was with a buddy of mine who's a really, really smart guy. He's an electrical engineer, and uh, he just got really fucking hammered drunk, and he just starts talking to me. He's like, man, you're in the music, right? I'm like, yeah. Like, dude, you know what you should do? Uh, man, you should just do a Dragon Force song. Man, you should, like, write these lyrics like this. And I, I just thought, you know, it's just drunkenness. I'm like, sure, yeah, whatever. Next morning, I get a, I get a spreadsheet <laughs> and a pie chart about what he wants this concept album of his to be about and what bands he like i guess when he was drunk he gave me this so uh he one of them was dragon force he wanted a full-on like dragon force crazy over-the-top shred song and at first i laughed it off but then like the competitive side of me got into like i don't know could i could i could i do that do i have the ability to do that so i actually wrote uh a dragon force parody song and uh we even wrote lyrics to it it's it's funny the, the lyrics the reason I haven't debuted it yet is because I've done the music, and this was mine. I wrote the music years ago, and then finally, like I said, I've kind of done this thing where like I need to write, my, I need to record myself now, or else. So once I've given myself a deadline, I guess I get things done. So I've actually recorded it. I just need somebody to come in and finish the vocals, but the the vocals kind of start parodying like the Dragon Force, like oh, it's about dragons and fire and battles. And then halfway through, because I wanted to add a little social commentary about heavy metal in there, the guy starts going like, but it's not gay though. Like, don't, don't judge me. This is not weird. Like, I wear skinny pants, but it's not weird at all. Like, you know, it's, so, like, you know, the, the tagline of the chorus is, it's not gay, it's power metal, which I think is hilarious. And then in the middle, I have, I'm gonna ruin this. I can't wait to, but I can't wait when I finish recording this. In the middle, I have, like, a Captain Planet part, where, where I decided to have, you know, Earth, Wind, Water, Fire, Go Planet, like, just in the middle of the song. So I was like, this guy's already, you know, worried about his masculinity. Why not throw in Captain Planet? That's hilarious. <laughs> so yes, actually, I know exactly what you're talking about about the Dragon Force guys and and the, the, the Guitar Hero kind of made them famous. And I've I've written a song and I yes, it is very hard to play their stuff. I'm I'm amazingly at the point in my life where I kind of can, but I have to practice my ass off to do it. <laughs> Every time I hear that song, it just makes me want to make a video to of Wow to it because it it totally fits with everything. But I just don't have the time to do it. But, <laughs> I'm sure you know. I'm sure that somebody on the internet has done that. The I, other great I thing. I couldn't find one. I found like what? a lot of other ones, but I can't find one for that song. I, I've seen the one for like the Final Fantasy Advent Children movie. Like I saw, I've seen Dragon Force with that, which I think was pretty. I mean, it works. I mean, it's anime, it's battles, it's fighting, so it makes sense. But even just like the lyrics uh, to Through the Fire and the Flames, it just totally fits with Wow. Every time I listen to it. <laughs> Well, a lot of their lyrics are actually kind of like that. If you go back and see, there's so many so far aways and mm-hmm. cross the fields and dragons and that that is a specific stylistic sound yeah. that they have. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, they got me famous by Guitar Hero or Rock Band or whatever it was. Um, I always found that playing Rock Band, like I'd always play the drums. And there's a few songs where, like, the beat would be off, and that's what would always, like, throw me off more than anything. Like, I could totally keep up with any of the ones where it was, like, you know, crazy fast drumming or friggin' Metallica and stuff. But, like, for example, Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Yeah. Because it's, like, the beat is off. It's, like, one, two, three, four, five. 
Oh, five four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. it it would always like, and I would sit there and friggin' like practice so much just to get that fucking beat because I always wanted to do it like completely backwards. But in yeah, the other know, ones where it was like you know super drumming fast and whatever, no problem. Just where it's that off beat where I'm like I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, that's fun. That's another thing. Uh, Western. Nah, now I'm gonna get a mu- musical musicologist up on on everybody, but. Uh, <laughs> Western music is still very structured and standardized, especially when it comes to rhythm. So simple things like adding a beat, like turning something from 4-4 four, four to 5-4, mm-hmm. are really dramatic to people. And I mean, you hear it in a lot of music that you don't even know you hear. Like the Mission Impossible theme is 5-4. Da, 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 that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So you don't know that because the way you play it, and that goes back to the kind of the thing about maps is everything ultimately tough is really at its basis when you break it down something simple that you just have to get used to playing in a different pattern that you're accustomed to. So like five four is one of those things where you just have to think one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, as opposed to one, two, three, four. But mathematically it'll ultimately ends up being the same thing because if you do eight bars of five four and ten bars of four four you get 40. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's one of those things where you kind of have to, like, not think about all the previous stuff that's in your head and not, like, you know, try and be like, okay, this is what I think it's going to be. You just kind of go with what it actually is. <laughs> Forget yeah, I what you cheat. know. <laughs> I, I kind of cheat with that. Um, my bassist and my drummer are all about making sure they have the count right in their head. As a melody-based guy... What I do is I just kind of remember how the melody sounds. I I don't even count. I don't I, I don't go like oh that's seven eight one two three so so seven eight would be count one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two like that. I don't think one and two and three and four and I just go do 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 I remember the melody and then I'm like I'm set I'm fine don't worry about me. Well, and with your stuff being instrumental too, you could actually stand up there and sing one and two and three and four. <laughs> and that could be your lyrics. <laughs> I, I I should get up there, but we get we're, we get weird and wacky in some sections. So I really don't want to throw people off and go one and two and three and four, one and two and three and four, one two, one and two and three and four. Like then, you know, maybe if it's funny at first, but then after a while, you're just like, now it's just math metal. <laughs> the whole new genre of music. That's actually already a genre of music. Math metal. Oh yeah, you can look it up. Yeah, the idea there is the kind of the thing we're talking about. It's people who like to use odd groupings of uh, weird time signatures to create uh, new and interesting music. So you'll have people playing eleven eight uh, seven eight. Um, you'll have you know five four. I've I've heard some people in eleven four, which is unnecessary. I would break that up personally. I would just you know five four can be five four is simple and straightforward. Eleven four you can break up into two bars of five and one or uh, sorry yeah go ahead. <laughs> but do they sing numbers? Oh no! I've heard uh, I've heard some bands just sing numbers. I've, uh, I think there's a great Pi song by uh, what, what's what's her name? Hard and Firm does a song called uh, Pi, which is fantastic. And the whole chorus is three point one four one five nine two three five, like the the whole digits of a Pi. And I thought I love that song to death. It's one of those humor comedy bands you're talking about, but still yeah. one of my favorite bands. Well, it's like the the phone number song from IT Crowd. Right. Yeah. There's so much. Go ahead. Oh, it's just because it's the really long, like, instead of 911 or 999, it's the 0118. I can't remember the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got your point, though. I got yeah, it. It's a really long number song. <laughs> I'd probably end up getting those stuck in my head, too, and just be, like, walking around singing a bunch of numbers to myself. Because I get yeah, that's another, stuck in my head. <laughs> that's another thing we can talk about, things getting stuck in your head. I mean, the ultimately... I, I'm gonna to have to explain this when I say this because I'm sure people out there are gonna like want to punch me when I say it. ultimately writing music is simple. Now let me explain to you why it's hard. So the idea of putting notes together and and just writing a song is not too difficult. Like the majority of stuff is written in a, a scale which is eight, seven, eight notes. Eight if you count the octave. Well, if there's 12 notes you can ultimately play, you've got a 50-50 shot of, better actually, excuse me, than a 50-50 shot of hitting a random note and hitting one that sounds right. So making the music is not hard. It's creating something that ultimately becomes really, really catchy and really, really good. And that's, you know, where I, I will say, you know, if my music repeated a little bit more, maybe you get stuck in your head a little bit more. Because 
we hate we can hate pop music all we want, but I've found myself singing Friday, Friday. It's <laughs> got to get down on Friday some so many times. It's amazing. I get the apparently song stuck in my head a lot lately. <laughs> I just walk around singing apparently to myself. But yeah, I, I get like almost anything stuck in my head, so. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, actually on this podcast, I'm going to play one of yours. If you don't mind me throwing that on there. Oh, sure. Which, which, which one? Um, that's what I was going to ask you. Which one do you think that I should play? So this is track three from our uh, first album called Morrier One. The name of the song is Plights of the Locusts. Uh, it's actually a really interesting song because the intro of the song, the acoustic guitar part, is the exact same chord progression as kind of the middle section of song two. So the idea through um, all of my albums is sometimes I like to have a repeating musical theme that's played in a different way. So if you're a fan or you've heard all the music, you can be like, hey, that's an Easter egg or in a reference. So yes, that intro is from uh, a, mel- a melody, not excuse me, uh, a chord progression used in part two, uh, song two, by the power of Moshe. And then also in the middle of the song, you're going to hear an acoustic guitar and then an electric guitar play a melody. That ends up in album three. So when we release uh, album three, you'll hear that as well, and you can put the connection together. And uh, other funny things about this album is we end... This, for some reason, uh, we were writing the song, and we didn't have an idea of how to end it. And one of us threw out the idea of, like, well, why don't we just do something stupid and end with the lounge jazz? And I, I laughed at it at first, but then I thought... That's actually a brilliant idea. Let's end with lounge jazz. So that's what you get. You get a song that starts subtle, it's really explosive, then has a piano part, and then ends it with lounge jazz. Enjoy.
Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about on this podcast, because I'm super jealous of it, is you got to go to Dragon Con. Oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> so tell me about Dragon Con. <laughs> was it crazy? Was it just completely overwhelming? Well, it's funny you should say that. I actually released a podcast on another one of the many shows I have for the Hashtag Cocktails podcast. It's called Cocked Up, where I kind of explain what happened in Dragon Con, but I'll give you the skinny of that. Dragon Con was a lot of fun. I mean, it's 62,000 people all in close proximity amongst uh, so many cosplayers, so much alcohol, which is a good and a bad thing at times, um, with a bunch of panels and a bunch of parties and late-night activities that can happen. I mean, it, it is it is actually very much overwhelming if it's your first time. I've, I've been before, so I kind of knew what to expect. I brought, like, a water bottle with me in it so I could, like, always have water on me at all times because it's also... Usually in the 90s, uh, Fahrenheit, which I believe is 40 some odd in uh, Celsius, uh, so yes, it's very, very hot. You will sweat. You will get very, very tired from queuing up so many uh, panels and trying to get into so many places like restaurants and the uh, vendors hall, but it's so worth it. It's so much fun. I mean, yeah, it is it an absolute blast. I think that, like, well, I'm just mainly super jealous of cons because the only one I've got to go to is BlizzCon. And it was about a very specific, you know, just the Blizzard video game. So there wasn't really vendors or anything there. I mean, there was a couple, like Razer was there and a few other, like, gaming hardware ones were there. I think Alienware might have been there. And then they just have the Blizzard store. And I think that that's what makes me jealous of other conventions is I would just spend so much money at all the vendors there. I'd probably have, like, a really hard time stopping myself from buying stuff. Yeah, but what's great about this con- convention is like uh, 62,000 people, various different fandoms. So you do have a variety of ages. You know, you have people there who are more into comic books. Some people are more into sci-fi literature or fantasy literature. Some young kids who are into anime and things like that. Uh, it actually skews a little more to the adult thing, which I like. Um, because, you know, you've got adults. Everybody's got lives. Some have families and kids. So, you know, you can maybe relate a little bit more there as being an older person. And uh, what I really enjoy, and this is, I don't know if this is totally unique to Dragon Con or if this is just a, a, a more common thing amongst other uh, conventions, is just how cool everybody is with no matter what you do. You know, you can go to one of those late night panels, which I mentioned in my podcast as well, and have conversations about furries and BDSM. <laughs> and that's some very adult, very interesting stuff. But then the very next morning, you can end up, you know, at a parade with a whole bunch of kiddos all having a good time seeing, you know, Superman walk by and the Ninja Turtles and things like that. So I like I like the diversity. I like how everybody's cool with whatever everyone's into and whatever uh, fandom everybody enjoys. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of like something that, you know, just from my experience at BlizzCon, there wasn't really because, I mean, it's all about specific things where, you know, something like Dragon Con or Comic Con or one of the other ones, you do get that wider scope of everything. I mean, you know, from comics to movies to whatever, right? So it's not just focused on one thing. And I think that that's, you know, why I'm trying to eventually get to some kind of convention that's about something else. Like, BlizzCon was fun and it was awesome to go to and, you know, to go to first convention and stuff. But I think that I'd really have a lot more fun at one that's, you know, a little bit of everything, plus the whole cosplay side of it, too. Because <laughs> yeah. at, at BlizzCon, it's just blizzard costumes right it's either wow or diablo usually yeah i I will uh say cosplay is really really strong at dragon con it's probably one of the bigger ones the detail and the scale to which people do cosplay is ridiculous you know like i've seen the whole cast of you know like sailor moon all the sailors and all the random secondary and tertiary characters I've seen, I mean, of course, you're going to have millions of uh, Star Wars and Star Trek uh, people. Uh, you'll have, people really love Mandalorians. I thought Stormtroopers were, like, the most popular things. No, man, Mandalorians <laughs> and the extended universe kind of rules all when it comes to the Dragon Con, especially the parade, because I think, the, I, I just think they have the, some of the cool stuff is the Mandalorians. Um, you know, yeah, cosplaying is kind of, that's the next step, I feel like, of committing to a convention. Is is not just because I'm kind of the boring lame guy who just has geeky t-shirts and walks around and checks people out and you know the panels. I, I think the next level is committing to a cosplay and and kind of broadcasting to the world. Like I love this character, and I'm gonna 
well, maybe not the whole weekend, but for the majority of this weekend, I'm just going to rock out as, you know, Captain Hammer or something. That would be awesome. <laughs> I think I think that's the hardest part that I'd have is trying to decide what character, because there's just way too many that I like. It'd be really hard. I mean, you can do multiple. You can do multiple. I've known many a cosplayer, and I've talked to many a cosplayer who might have, like, Friday night be their, their easy cosplay. So they'll do, like, Laura Croft. But then Saturday will be, like, Commander Shepard. So they have all the armor and stuff for that. And then Sunday they'll just come out in, like, a, a Pokemon t-shirt and just chill. Um, you can do a lot of fun stuff. I, I love... I love the, I just love the, the, the crowd interaction and how cool everybody is. That's ultimately the thing I love the most. And also, you know, when you go out to any con- big convention, I say if it's your first time, if your first year, don't be afraid to leave your friends and just go see all the cool and random shit you want to see. I find everybody who's on their second or third year is more like, eh, I don't have to go to see every convention. I don't have to queue up. I'll just chill in, you know, the board gaming hotel, you know, the bottom floor where everybody board games or, ah, I'll just, you know, chill around the West End and see these few, you know, Whedon people. Like, so that first year go crazy. Second year, third year, you can kind of relax a little bit more. Well, at least it was a bit easier when we were at BlizzCon too, cause we don't play Diablo and we didn't really care about StarCraft or anything, so we kind of just focused on all the WoW panels and we go see anything that was, you know, World of Warcraft related and then just kind of wander around and look at everything else too. So that was kind of nice because we didn't have to worry about timing-wise, like, you know, running from one panel to the next kind of thing that I see a lot of people talk about at, you know, bigger conventions where they have to kind of debate which one they want to go to because they may be at the same time or they may not be able to make it to, you know, the next hall to see the other one that they're interested in. So I think that, you know, I guess that comes into play too, where if it's your first con and you're trying to get to everything at once and trying to, you know, realize that you can't see everything at once. Yeah, and I think the nightlife does a good job of compensating you for that. You know, that's kind of one of the, the other big draws to Dragon Con, and they all make jokes that Dragon Con is where, you know, the sex parties and all that type of stuff happens. You know, it's like I mentioned, the nightlife is going to be kind of where more people kind of shut down and have a good time. And, you know, sometimes, like I said uh, in my podcast, sometimes I'll just go and just relax with the board gamers. You know, you've got a whole bunch of cool people playing a bunch of board games. I don't have to do anything wild. I'm sure, you know, there's some alcohol consumption, but nothing too weird is happening but you know if you also want to maybe if you didn't get a chance to see a whole bunch of panels and stuff like that during the day you know there's night braves concerts there's the avengers ball there's all sorts of fun stuff so like the good thing about i say that's the good thing about dragon con is something's always happening so you're never missing out (laughs) there's people everywhere (laughs) that too there is i mean those hotels Get so packed. My my advice to everybody who goes, uh, if you ever go to a Dragon Con, is do not bother with the Skyways. There's uh the Dragon Con is five hotels and uh, an America Smart, but they're all, all connected by Skyways. And you'd think, oh, that will that be the convenient way to get from point A to point B? I respectfully disagree. You'd have to go through a hotel full of people. And maybe go up a floor and go through another floor full of people to get to a skyway, to go to another hotel, to go through a floor of people. It's not worth it. I always say get out on the street, walk the three blocks, you're better off. Well, and the skyways are probably like packed full of people too. Trying to yeah, that and just, <laughs> yeah, well, it, like if you can get to the skyway, the hardest thing is getting to the skyway because if you're a cosplayer, you want to be inside a hotel where there's some sort of air conditioning. doesn't help with all those people uh, right on top of each other. But, you know, most cosplayers stand and take all their photo shoots and whatnot inside the hotels. And also, that's the cool place where you can get some alcohol. Overpriced alcohol, I don't usually get it myself. I go to the uh, – this is my con pro tips here – is I go to local uh, convenience stores and get the alcohol from there. But – you know, most people just want to kind of be seen and be photographed inside these hotels. So then they create these gigantic, uh, like, traffic jams where some people just want to stand and chat and some people want to stand and be photoed and other people are trying to get through. So then, boom, it's almost impossible. It'll take you 20 minutes to get through a hotel. And that's maybe, what, two floors and 150, maybe 100 yards across? That's not, no, it's not, no. <laughs> it just seems like it would be... A giant mess trying to get through that <laughs> yeah yeah that's like like i said you know if you want to be there and do that that's cool there's definitely places where you can go off to and have more fun as well it's it's the downtown atlanta experience you'll be just fine though <laughs> yeah i seen um there's a few people that i saw on facebook that I went and the other thing that i liked about dragon con was the big parade because you don't really see that at other conventions that True. i've seen anyways so that's kind of a cool thing too to sit there and you know watch the giant cosplay parade 
rather than just seeing like random people walking throughout the convention or you know the the contest to actually have like a big parade for everyone yeah that's actually where uh that's probably one of the biggest draws for dragon con from the non-attending populace you know i i mentioned earlier in my podcast i'm really plugging my podcast guys <laughs> go check out hashtag cocktails no but uh you know, I meant, I believe this year, 2014, there was something like 800,000 people down, uh, downtown for f- all sorts of festivities, 300,000 people of which came from out of town, and of the 62,000 people who did go to Dragon Con, there's a m- couple thousand more who just wanted to see the parade because it's, you know, very kid friendly, it's, you know, it, it, it's, I forget how long, it's a mile some odd maybe, I think, from start to finish, and you know, you just pop down on the side of the street with maybe you and your kids, watch you know all these awesome star wars star trek um anime characters uh movies comic books everybody come by and you you don't have to go through the madness you don't have to go through the hotels you don't have to track somebody down the majority of cosplayers want to be seen so the majority of cosplayers get up in the parade yeah i think that's probably like what would be my favorite part because i just love looking at the costumes that was like my favorite part about blizzcon was the costume contest and like above everything else I'm like we have to be there for the costume contest I don't care about anything else but specifically the costume contest we have to have good seats for so I think that that's something that you know probably end up being my favorite part if I ever went to Dragon Con <laughs> would be the parade and the costumes because I love costumes yeah, yeah if, you, if you ever come down I mean I had such a great time meeting uh Kristen Brumley who I met through the internet in the geek and sundry community I, and I kind of feel now like I, I want to collect them all. I want to collect all my internet friends and at least see them once. And it'd be great if, you know, the more people I can find at conventions and stuff like that, the better. Yeah, that's that's the other thing, too. Like, you know, I think there was... I don't even think we ran into anyone at BlizzCon that we knew or met online. And I think that, you know, trying to find another convention to go to, and if there was, like, people I knew in that town, I'd definitely be trying to, you know, make sure I met up with them. There seems to be a lot of people I know online from everywhere, so I'm sure I could find someone. I yeah, I like people. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this on my podcast, but like one of the funniest things is stumbling to people I knew from like life or from years past. Like <laughs> I remember I was walking to uh to do some board gaming in the Hilton and then I did a double take and I go, Is that my corporate law professor from university <laughs> dressed as Iron Man? He's like this guy in his late forties in a friggin' Iron Man suit and I was like, That is fucking crazy. That is amazing. At least you didn't find him in a furry pile. Yeah, yo, that's that would have been fun. I actually did go to a furry panel, which was very informative. Uh, I would have been more interesting if I saw him at the BDSM panel that I went to, but that's that's another story told on the hashtag cocktails cocked up podcast. Sorry. No, feel free, feel free to plug yourself all you want. I feel like I've been plugging the whole time. Yeah, go ahead. Well, well, thanks for coming on and talking about music and giving me a music lesson. <laughs> about classical music theory type things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could have... I, I, if, if you need more stuff, like I tell you, I can talk music the entirety of my existence with uh, in regards to my, my friends was based around music and all. whenever we meet, and the majority of the time we end up talking music. We don't, Maybe occasionally we'll talk like anime or movies or, you know, gaming stuff, but we're always music, music, music. We're kind of those people. Yeah, I'm kind of... i like always been big about music and always having something to listen to and more so like the last year trying to get away from mainstream stuff and just trying to find cool other little you know indie type bands from around the internet just for different things to listen to and then getting more so into geek music and geek bands and just that type of genre of music and parody i like parody music (laughs) anything you want to suggest for music wise music wise listen to things that are outside of your comfort zone i love pushing myself to hear something that's weird and i don't necessarily have to like it you know i'll listen to icelandic (laughs) kind of weird spacey music like mum and then i'll listen to more 8-bit happy upbeat stuff like uh chiptune like anamanaguchi and things like that or you know i'll listen to drone music or minimalist uh classical pieces or some weird stuff like the work of Nick Cage. If you ever guys want an opportunity to listen to a really interesting composer, I forget the name of the track, but there's a, a composer, a modern composer that has a track that's a piece that's entirely silence. That's right. A piece that is entirely silent. But, you know, we can argue whether it's music or not, but the ultimate point is push yourself to listen to something outside of your comfort zone. And if people want to find you online, 
and stalk you? <laughs> Where can they find you online? I'm not a particular fan of stalking because I'm actually as weird as the sound. I'm more of an introverted person. I kind of like to like to pick when I get to come out into the world and then retreat back into my my hole. Uh, but if you do want to speak with me and have a conversation, uh, my Twitter is at geekstory. Uh, you can also find me, I guess, on G Plus or any of those other right random things. It's either Don Diego or Classy Don Diego, which is <laughs> the moniker. My hashtag Cocktails Podcast is on iTunes and Podbean. And also, if you're just on the Geek and Sundry forums, you can find me there. It's Don underscore Diego. And well, thanks again for being on the show. And I'm sure I'll talk to you again, do another round of guests on the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mandy. And as usual, if you want to find me online, Cyanide with two N's on Twitter. The extra N is for extra awesome. LittleGeekLoss.com, um, iTunes, who knows where you found me. So find me anywhere online, LittleGeekLoss, and we'll see you next time.